Welcome to the Hatch and Curiosity podcast, where homeschooling families cultivate innovation through curiosity, creativity, and critical thinking. I'm your host, Christina Hatch. You're listening to episode two, Diatoms. Diatoms! I have my kids echoing back to me as we study protista in biology this year. And I promise if you bear with me through my nerdy science excitement, I will tie it back to homeschooling here in just a second. As I prepared for the Antarctica Global Adventure with the kids in my co-op, I learned about algae blooms at the poles each year, upon which all Arctic and Antarctic life depends. Every year in the North Pole and the South Pole, there are huge blooms of algae, so big that you can actually see them from space. All these little teeny tiny microscopic krill will start feeding on the algae, which following up the food chain will attract whales and all other kinds of marine life that will actually migrate from one end of the earth to the other just for this feeding frenzy. Some of these algae are made up of trillions of diatoms, which are single-celled microorganisms, and together they give off more oxygen than all of the rainforest on earth combined. Every fifth breath we take comes from diatoms. Later, as I prepared for our Africa adventure, I studied the Sahara Desert and I learned that some of it was once under the sea and the sands of the Sahara Desert contain microscopic skeletons of diatoms. Now these diatoms, even after they're dead, are still helping us breathe. In their tiny little shells, they contain micronutrients such as phosphorus, which are important for plant growth. Now there's not a lot of plants in the Sahara Desert. However, there are tons of plants in the Amazon rainforest. And there just happens to be very strong trade winds that will carry the sands of the Sahara Desert across the Atlantic Ocean and drop them down in the Amazon. And it's really important that they do that because the Amazon rainforest is unable to produce enough of these little micronutrients that they need to support the life there. In addition to that, If you're into gardening, you'll be interested to know that this is where diatomaceous earth comes from, which is beneficial for plant growth and detrimental to pests that would inhibit their growth. Okay, just a couple more fun facts. Diatoms make their cell walls from silica, which essentially means that they live in glass houses, and they can actually be very pretty. The healthier the water, the more biodiversity of diatoms are in it. As amazing and important as diatoms are, they are very, very small. Individually, they are undetectable, yet, as we mentioned before, they can be seen from space. Now, we'll take a step back from the mini science lesson. If you'd like to learn more or share some cool videos with your kids about diatoms, I'll have video links in the show notes, or you can check out the National Geographic documentary, One Strange Rock, on Netflix. Okay, but what do diatoms have to do with homeschooling? I mean, it's a great science subject, obviously, but there are a couple of ways I'd like to bring it on back for this conversation. The first of which is that all learning is multidisciplinary. Even just talking about ocean microorganisms, we need to have a geography context and understanding of several different fields of science. We're using our creative and critical thinking as we look at the cause and effects of these tiny little creatures the big picture with global impact, and the small picture with the structure of the festurals, which are the outer walls of the diatoms. Looking at diatoms, you can quickly see the beauty and diversity, which could lead to amazing art projects. Understanding that all things are connected and letting the subject lines blur a little bit leads to some amazing discoveries. Take Leonardo da Vinci, for example. He had so many different passions. He was the original Renaissance man, 
And he would study art, but also science and anatomy and engineering. He made war machines and masterpiece paintings, even did dissections of the human body to better understand how things work. And through his variety of interests, he was able to cross these subjects in beautiful and unique ways that are still benefiting us to this day. The second thing I'd like to draw out is if you notice how I fell down the rabbit hole of diet toms after I heard them mentioned in different contexts at different times. Most schools teach history in some kind of a loop. So for example, you're gonna learn about ancient civilizations in first grade, then again in fifth grade, and then again in ninth grade. They do this so that students can be introduced to a concept, build on it with context and experiences they've had, and then again to remind them of it and help their retention. Some may argue, and honestly, I'm inclined to agree most times, that if you study something deeply and well the first time, it eliminates the need for this kind of a loop. However, I am going to play the devil's advocate this time and say that there is a reason that this format was put into place. Our minds are always filtering information for what's important. When we hear a date or a name or a place for a first time, it is often in one ear and out the other. Just think of the need for memory work. We're just trying to get it to stick through repetition. The reason for this is that hearing something in passing doesn't register as important information. If that information comes up over and over again, then something triggers in our mind. For example, with the diatoms. Hey, I keep hearing this word, diatom. Where did I hear it before? If it was brought up in another context, and then again now in this context, there must be some kind of a connection, or it must be pretty important or interesting. I need to remember this and learn more about it. This is where the biggest difference is, though. When history is taught on a loop schedule at school, it's often taught by an unenthusiastic teachers just because, for example, they love math and they just meh history. So they're trying to get through the required curriculum so they can get to the good stuff. And let's be honest, we all have our own interests and passions and things we tend to just check the boxes on. When history is taught with the emotion of this isn't important or interesting, the kids' brains dismiss it as such. And that impression may or may not stick around or be remembered. If a concept organically comes up, though, in multiple contexts or is brought up as a point of interest, then this starts to trigger the magic can happen. Now, the magic that I'm talking about is the hardest part, but it's the most important. It is the magic of connection. When kids form connections on their own, they get those aha moments. They catch the excitement of learning and love that feeling of accomplishment. Connections they make themselves last a lot longer and run a lot deeper than the connections that we make for them. These facts I shared at the beginning of the podcast may have been interesting to you, but they were exciting to me because I made those connections organically. Learning can still be hung on interest, but it is powerful when hung on connection. For example... After listening to this podcast, if you hear something about diatoms in your Facebook feed, you'll either A, feel like Facebook is stalking you and listening in on your conversations, or B, think, oh, didn't I just hear something about those? And it'll start the path for your own connections. After a few more impressions, that word will be flagged as important in your mind. And even if you remember none of what I said earlier, when you hear it again, you'll have your own aha moment and want to share it with others. The next thing is pretty simple. I prepared for the units. Now let me start by saying that I am all about open and go curriculums 
and independent learning. If we prepared every subject for every child thoroughly every day, we would burn out faster than bread stuck in a toaster. We don't need to be the source of knowledge for our kids' education. We do, however, need to be curious and get excited about some things. TJN has a great concept called Inspire, Not Require, and I have an interview with an awesome TJ editor coming up to go over in more detail in the lineup to come. But the essence of it is to inspire the love of learning in your children by having a love of learning yourself. Enthusiasm is contagious. The last takeaway I have is a little bit more abstracted. Do you ever have those seasons when you're having a hard time with something and then you hear something on the radio that strikes a chord? A few days later, you're talking with a friend and then they bring up that same subject again. Then you hear something about it at church or when you're sitting in a doctor's office, you happen upon an article about it in a waiting room magazine that was written 10 years ago. (laughs) There has to be a cool word for this and if you know it, you need to let me know. Well, that's kind of what happened to me when I got inspired to do this episode. I am so human, it's not even funny, and I was trying to formulate a new attack plan to change my habits when diatoms came up again in my kids' biology curriculum. They talked about how they will double every 24 hours, and it reminded me of the water hyacinth metaphor in the thought-changing book, The Slight Edge, by Jeff Olson. As soon as I remembered that metaphor, all of that book came flooding back to me, and I'm not going to go into details on all of the little epiphanies that I had at this moment. But I realized, again, that it's the little things over time that change the course of nations. These invisible algae affects our atmosphere and the entire marine ecosystems on all ends of the earth. Without it, there would be no us. Yet, it's the small, quiet reproduction of microscopic things that keeps our world breathing. So it is with our homes. It's the small things that we repeat daily, weekly, yearly, that shapes the hearts and minds of our children. It's the little choices that add up, which honestly gives me a lot of hope when we're just not seeing any progress. That like weathering a mountain, a river will cut its course. But it also lays the weight down that the small choices we make daily, if not intentional, will set the tone in our homes and the habits in our children. With all things, it's a double-edged sword. Yet, as beautifully slight as the course was set, it can be adjusted again. We'll touch again on this in further episodes, but I hope this little rabbit hole of mine was able to inspire ideas for your home with multidisciplinary learning, repetition, making organic connections, inspiring your kids with example of someone who loves to learn, And remembering that it's the little things that make the biggest differences. What's one small good habit that can set the course of your day? Or maybe a passion that your children see you have? Reach out to me on Instagram at Hatching Curiosity to join the conversation. Until next time, stay curious.